Hi, and welcome back to another episode of No Life Like Show Life. It has been quite a long break since the summer, so it's kind of an extended summer break. It's fall now, which you can probably hear from my voice. I hope it isn't too bad, but I'm excited to start over again after this long break, and I'm excited to continue our series where we portray amateur writers from Europe, and I'm super excited for my guest today, which is Leah Henskin, one of the most accomplished amateur writers in Europe. Hi, Leah. Can you introduce yourself real quick? Hello, Lenny. Thanks for having me. My name is Leah Henskin. I'm 26 years old now, and I recently moved to Basel, Switzerland. So actually last week and originally from Germany, as, yeah, as um, most might know. So that's very cool. And You've been involved with horses for quite a while now, but since when actually? Because to be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I grew up with horses. So my parents moved to a farm that my grandparents used to have, like where they had cattle and all that, so like a farming home when I was born and then transformed the, the old barn to horse stables so that we could actually have horses at our own place at home. And um, I got my first pony, a little Shetland pony, um, for my third birthday. So has always been involved with horses and then uh, how it normally is like from the pony, the first like kind of real horse came, um, which was an um, Arabian horse that we still have today. That's Nayib. Um, he's like a little uncle and um, yeah, he's 27 now and still living his best life. And yeah, that's, uh, that's how it all started. And then after that, of course, like I got into the quarter horses, first in the reigning part, and then um, moved to the all around and tried to constantly improve. And um, that's where we ended up now. <laughs> that's so cool. I actually didn't know you had like a farm at home. I'm so, so jealous. It must be so <laughs> cool to have the horses at home. <laughs> It really is like when you're sitting um, at the breakfast table or just like doing home office or something like that and you look out of the window and have the horses right in front of you in the pasture that is really really cool and also I have to say um, they're coming some perks with it I always know that my parents take care of them and uh, I don't have to struggle like if I'm changed places and moving to other places due to work or university or whatsoever I always know like there's this yeah, safe place home um, and horses can always be there. Uh, so I, I guess I'm really lucky with that one. I'm really grateful for that as well. It sounds really nice. As I said, I'm really jealous. And as you know, I'm quite of a little stalker of the horse show industry. And I think the first time that I recognized you as a rider in the show pen was with your former horse, Doc Laptop. Can you tell a bit more about him? Yeah, sure. Laptop. Is, uh, is a really, really special one to me. I mean, like, just given his name, which is Laptop, um, translated to notebook, uh, is not very common, I would say, and arises a lot of yeah, awareness for people because I often got the question, like, why does he have that name and also ever. And he is one of the horses that, that you don't choose. He chose me at some point. And by the time, in, back in 2006, I was uh, having a two-year-old reigning mare and um, was yeah, about to start to get a little bit more into the reigning scene. And then um, things fall into place and laptop ended up being at our place. And somehow he managed to, yeah, to make his way um, to, to, to my heart and to the heart of our whole family. And he just never left since then. And we decided that we uh, would keep him. And I first started to, to work with him a little bit more in the reigning. And then um, we together changed to the all around, which was, yeah, a little bit um, of a ride, I would say. Um, like it always is um, when you go from the regional shows to, um, shows to the bigger shows. And then also with the reigning horse and you're like at the beginning, we were really the underdogs, uh, but he really, really learned a lot. And I got happy that a lot of people helped me uh, along the way. He wouldn't be that super expensive, well-moving horse um, that a lot of people recognize, I guess. But for me, he's really... Like he, he brought me there where I am today. And 
even besides the Chopin, he he had a big, big contribution to the person I am today. And he was always by my side. And still today, I I often feel that he he's kind of like watching over me. Yeah, I think one could say that he was probably the one that put you to the stage, if I'm guessing that right, because that was my impression. I think you won your first European title with him, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back in 2012. I mean, like, this was my first big, big win. I did win the um, the Western riding in Aachen for like the German championship before that. But this was my first real big win. And I think um, that we also stepped out a little bit of this underdog reigning girl kind of point. I'm really, really thankful for him to put me there, but also for the rides he gave me and for the feelings and everything that he taught me. And today I wish I could ride him with, with the knowledge and the feeling, everything that I know now. Um, but I think that's, that's just how it goes in the industry and that we all learn on the way and um, be thankful for the horses and the companions we have along the way. He really brought me where I am, or he, at least he had a really big contribution to that. And there's not a single day that goes by that I'm not thinking of him. It sounds really cute. And I think most of us have that kind of horse that probably wasn't the best moving one, the, you know, um, probably not the most well-bred horse, but the one that influenced us the most. So it's kind of cool to see that you also have a horse like that. And you just mentioned that you had several people helping you along the way. Can you probably explain to our listeners who you trained with in the past, who you're training with now? Yeah, sure. So back with laptop um we we did some like rainy courses with Emanuel Ernst and all that and then luckily um through the mayor that um I used to have when I got laptop I got to know Pear Krak which uh, I guess a lot of people know as well and Pear really helped me a lot to get my foot into the all-around scene and then I also like at the 2010 German championship in Aachen, um, Pea and Laura had Craig Johnson over, who at that point in time worked with high point performance horses and then later on was with Capital Quarter Horses. And, and he helped me a lot. And then through those people, I, I went to the big shows. And then in 2012, I <laughs> kind of out of a coincidence met Dazi. And um, yeah, since then, Dazi accompanied me for. Oh my gosh, almost 10 years now. Yeah, it's um, it's the ninth year. It's going to be the 10th <laughs> year next year. And um, this very first European championship was, um, yeah, I, I mean, like I, I called her, I think like two weeks before the Europeans. And I was like, oh yeah, Dazi. So I met your, your sister and um, she said, you're doing a good job. And I wanted to train with you at the Europeans. And she was like, yeah. So when you're coming, I'm like, yeah, day before I start showing. And she's like, oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> and then we had like really long sessions um, in the evening, like each day of the Europeans, because like everybody knows normally you train before the Europeans and then go to the Europeans. But we kind of like came to the Europeans and did like showing and training at the same time. But her system just immediately worked out for us. And I mean, like also this was the first European championship title that I won. So uh, I think also Dazi did a huge contribution to that because like three weeks before the Europeans, I was at home and a laptop wasn't changing leads any longer. And um, he's like, he's that quirky horse. Like when he was with Emmanuel Ernst back as a futurity horse, <laughs> he was supposed to go to, uh, to the reigning futurity in Croatia, the NHA reigning futurity. And he was doing very, very well. And just like two weeks before the futurity, he stopped changing leads for Emmanuel. Oh. And um, he couldn't make him change leads any longer. And then at that time, it was also that like he couldn't have been written by any person. So um, the former owner put him to like different places and had like people riding him um, all over. And nobody actually was able to ride him because he bucked everybody off. And then there was me, 11 or 12 year old girl. And the um, owner was like, oh, yeah, you can write him. You can write him and go ahead. And I wrote him and everything worked. Like he was changing leads. He was spinning. He was stopping. He was doing everything. And then um, after I hopped off, Manfred, who is actually now a really, really close friend of the family, was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. I was expecting that he's going to back you off like everybody else. 
Um, so I was like, oh no, he didn't. And um, he was doing like, it was kind of the same before the Europeans. So two weeks before the Europeans, no lead change at all. And I came to the Europeans and I was like to Dazi, so I think we're doing quite good at the trail and like we're doing a little bit there. And of course, Dazi had a lot of things um, to improve um, in any um, any event. But with the restaurant, I was like, yeah, I'm not even sure if I should show it because we're not really changing leads at the moment. So let's see. And she had like, I think it was just like a couple things she said that really worked out for us. And then the Saturday after we had our final go at the at a youth final in the Western Riding, and it was actually where we won the European Championship title, which really was amazing. And I do have to say, this is one of the best rides I've ever had. It sounds really cool. And I have to say, I love those quirky horses that kind of start <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this today. I, I, I know how it works, but I'm just not going to do it today. It's kind yeah. of a, a fun challenge, right? But it's still <laughs> yeah. cool that you're still a team with Darcy. Although you show two different horses now at the moment, you have two mares now. Can you tell a bit more about them? Because as far as I know, you brought them from the US and um, you've been showing them for quite some years now and quite successfully, one must stress. So I think people would love to hear more about them as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the two girls, uh, Madonna and Ellie Mae, really lovely ladies. So Madonna uh, came to us in 2013 we were looking for another horse for me. And since we weren't able to find one here in Europe, we made the decision to fly over to the US. And it was a family trip. My, my dad, my brother and me went over to Texas and um, said, OK, we have like 10 days and we're going to go to a lot of different places and drive a lot of horses. And some people were like, you're kind of crazy like you expect you're flying over and you find like the perfect match it's not like you're buying 10 horses and you're selling some and then maybe some it's gonna fit you're like looking at one horse and uh, you don't even have like the exact plan but uh, we just like went and then we literally tried I think like almost 30 horses or like something with 20 and 30 horses within like uh, four days and Madonna at that time was staying at high point performance horses and the minute I saw her and rode her, I was like, she, she's the one the, or the horse that we're taking home. And the problem was that she wasn't exactly what we were looking for. So because at that time, my brother um, also wanted to start showing a little bit more. And since I was used to having like an almost finished horse and wanted to do like a horsemanship and trail and western riding and all that, we were looking for rather like five to six year old really good-minded, calm gelding that just like could like go get a little bit like half a year of proper training and then we just like do the all around. And then there was this like three-year-old absolutely not ready to show mare with uh, I would say quite a character. Um, but it turned out that we were like okay um, she's the one uh, and we took her home. Also uh, Dazi was supporting us with the decision like having her sending over the videos every evening and um, she's like yeah um, I like this I don't like that and I was like well Dazi I'm not sure what you're going to say about the, that mare but I want this one I guess and she approved of it and um, my parents and Aaron also liked her so um, we brought Madonna over uh, to Europe that was back in 2013 and then I yeah I started doing the western pleasure with her and um, put a showmanship on and then like on the way and then by that time my brother was showing a little bit more as well and like having two people showing one horse in the all-around puts a lot of stress on the horse and there's a lot of yeah I mean like a lot of shows they have to go into and then we were deciding that we want to add another um, show horse to our to our little family and we were like actually we we're looking since 2015 not like very persistently looking but um like keeping our ears open and talking to people. And then in 2017, I was in the, the US for my semester abroad at Baylor University in Texas. I was like, well, since I'm now in Texas, the horse country of the Western world, I would say, at least when it comes to our sport, I can use this time and look at more horses. So I almost like every 
weekend or every second weekend of the first two months, I rented myself a car and was driving through Texas to different places. I went like all over to High Point, Becky George, Bruce Vickery, like all of the big places. And then um, I, was, I, I was riding a lot of great horses and also that were technically really like a good fit. They, they had all the maneuvers on and like rationally would make good sense. But I wasn't convinced by then. And then in, I saw on the internet um, an announcement that it was like this chestnut mare. And I mean, like, we all know the jokes about chestnut mares. Like, oh, yeah. there's one type of horse you don't want to get, and that's the chestnut mare. <laughs> so I was like, well, but I maybe I should go anyway. So I rented a car again and drove... I mean, like it was like a six or seven hour drive through the middle of nowhere in Texas, somewhere in the desert. Oh, wow. And yeah, like, you know, though, in those movies when you have like those straw balls, like going on the field. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the, the kind of um, area I was driving through. Um, and then I got to a very remote horse show there where Buddy Fisher, who's actually um, a world champion by himself and trained a lot of world champion as well but isn't so well known in at least not in the european industry i would guess i and think he has won the junior it. trail at the world show once right yeah and then he also trained uh, pf put me in the park who won the senior trail oh yeah with, yeah um with michael colvin and um he had like produced if you want to call it like that produced some really good horses and um yes i think especially for the trail he has a really really good program and he's a lovely person as well Yeah, I met him there and tried Ellie May, and um, that was where I was like, she's not finished yet, and there's a lot of, uh, or still a lot of things to learn with her, but uh, it just felt right again, like it did with Madonna a couple of years back then, and on the way back home, I, I called my parents, I called Aaron, I sent them the videos, and I'm like, I think she's the one. She just felt really, really right. She had such a sweetheart, and um, her whole appearance was really just, like, lovely to be around. And then we imported uh, Ellie May, and I have to say, I'm so, so glad that we got her, because me personally, I've never ridden a horse with a bigger heart than her. Like, she gives everything every single time and she always tries and there's like not a single moment where she would be like oh, I'm not doing that so actually she's not fulfilling the stereotype and she's rather like a like a nice mare with a gelding mindset um and doesn't follow um all the chestnut mare quotes at all <laughs> that's so cool she actually looks really gentle like a really gentle nice horse Yeah, she is. She she's really a sweetheart. Um, and it's nice to have all the girls at home. And um, I always thought of myself that I'd rather be a gelding kind of person. And now I'm here with my girls, and um, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. <laughs> oh yeah, I I believe so. I mean, you've accomplished great things with them, right? Yeah, I mean, like we all like we accomplished it together um, with the support of a lot of uh, people around. So. <laughs> But thank you for saying that. But before we started recording, I actually told you that I uh, totally forgot to mention your baby horse because Madonna is already a mother. Can you tell a little bit more about her? Because as you know, I forgot, so you have to jump in and introduce her. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't be happy to hear that she got forgotten. She's a very, Don't tell very her. special girl. No, <laughs> I mean, like, um, she has a lot of character like her, her mother, uh, Madonna's baby is called Beyonce and Beyonce is really, really sweet, um, but she is a spoiled child. So she's kind of the only child in the herd at home, but also um, it's kind of the third child of the family. There's my brother and me and somehow my parents get really, really attached to her, <laughs> which is nice. But um, yeah, she's um, very, very spoiled by them and uh, we kept her at home The, the first years and she's an absolute lookalike of Madonna you can definitely tell um, who's her mother and she she is um, sired by V.S. Codred um, so I think she's also a really nice mover uh, and then we brought her to Jana Künkler at the beginning of this year to break her out and get her started on that and then 
got her back in the pasture during the summer to let her grow a little bit because just like a mom she just like needs a little, little bit more time to get more body and now she's back with uh, Jana who's doing an amazing job I'm not so confident that um, you will see her in the show pen uh, anytime soon in the future because like I said um, my parents are really attached to her so um, uh, they're probably uh, going to spend more time with her at home and enjoy her at home and at the same time um, a lot of things are changing in my personal life at the moment like career-wise etc and I don't really have the time I mean like, I barely have the time to show the two horses I have I couldn't make it to a single show this year so not that likely that she she's going to be in the show pen um, in the near future. But it's kind of cute to hear that she's like a third child for your parents. <laughs> but as you just yeah. mentioned, there are two actual children, you and your brother. <laughs> and you've been showing together in the past as well. And actually, most people who follow the show life for quite a while now have probably seen your brother in many of my articles and many of the DQHA interviews because... He's actually one of my favorite interview partners, as you are, <laughs> because you're both always so polite. And I actually love to see the dynamic and the team you built with Madonna in the past. So can you tell a bit more what it's like to be on the show circuit with your own brother? Mm -hmm. I love to have him around. It is it is fun at the one point. And then also um, he's a huge support because I have to say, maybe I should apologize to him because when we were younger, um, I was really, really pushing hard with him. Uh, and when we were training at home, I wouldn't give him any excuses or allow him any excuses or failures. And so when we came to the shows, he was so happy when he could actually ride with Darcy and have like and enjoy what he's doing oh my <laughs> god that way <laughs> but um he also says that uh, now that he's so thankful for kind of like the hard school that he had to go through because in a very short period of time he was able to learn a lot and I also think that he he's really talented and that he is a lot of things just like fall really easy for him and it has always been like that and that's something I think he can be really really thankful for and that's super great and he has a great feeling with the horses and so having him around is very supportive um, because I think we function really good as a team and we know like what um, each other like things and have a common understanding of what we want and what we strive for and um, having like a close family member with you it's also I mean like close friends and close family members I think you always have like a little bit of different way to interact with them than it is with just like your showmates or like teammates um I mean, sometimes it would make it maybe a little bit harder, um, but uh, they understand you a little bit better, I guess. And this is super fun. And um, now that he, he actually talks back and he, he doesn't take everything in that <laughs> I tell him to do, um, it's even more fun. And he is a big sparing partner for me as well when we discuss like the horses and even at home when I'm riding by myself. And then um, like I, I call him over and I'm like, oh, can you look at that? And um, now he's the same with me. Like he's very unapologetic and it's like, okay, this left arm has to go up a little bit. And um, I see like an inch of air between your elbows and your body um, that shouldn't be like that. So um, it's, it's motivating, it's pushing uh, and it's uh, a lot of fun. And it's good to have a close person as a sparing partner and, and share a passion, which we all do in the family. And that's something I really, really like. It's kind of funny to see how your relationship has transformed from, you know, <laughs> you being the kind of hard one and now he is. So it's really cool. And I think from the outside, I've always experienced you two as a really, yeah, how would you say that? A very nice and friendly sibling duo. You know, it's not always like that with siblings. <laughs> so, and I think the whole picture one gets from you and your career. I mean, you've won European champion titles, golden series titles, you've won in Aachen and yeah, basically anything one could dream of. So is there one win that sticks out for you? I think it's, it's kind of like a three point or two point story. The, the win I was already talking about, like winning the European championship with laptop back then was very, very special to me. And then at the next morning, so the Western riding final was at the Saturday evening. And then on 
um, on Sunday morning, we had the trail final in youth. And by that time, um, like trail was kind of our, our event that we really became good at. And it was that one year where you didn't have like a prelim and then um, the final. It was instead you had like four first shows, I would say, and then um, four second shows. And it was the combined result of everything that made up the, from the final placing. And the first go was awful. I mean, like the youth classes back then were huge. We were like almost like 40 horses in the youth trail. And I was, I don't know, like 30 or something like that. Like we had an awful uh, go. And then the next morning I had the ride of my life and this youth trail final. And I really felt that laptop was giving his everything. I could feel that his like strength and body already wasn't at the best of his game, but he, he just like gave everything. And after the ride, I just like jumped off and started crying. And I was amazed by the feeling I had in the pen and everything like over each pole, he was lifting his feet. He, like the rhythm was on point and it was just like something I've never experienced before. And then we ended up catching up on actually standing or sitting 30th to the bronze medal um, and may became like, yeah, won the bronze medal. And for me, I like looking back now, I realize, or I kind of think that he already knew that it was his last goal. Like I've never showed him again after that. And then um, like a year later, we had to say goodbye to him. I mean, like this was already very, very emotional for me. And then a couple of years later in 2016, I was showing the Europeans again um, with Madonna in the trail. And she was just a six-year-old by then, so not really experienced, especially not in the trail. And I think in a tough amateur class, like one of the youngsters, I would say. And um, my brother showed her in the trail um, and they had some quirks. And I got, for some reason, really, really nervous because um, ever since after laptop I've never really picked up my trail game again and wasn't really good at showing trail at that point of time and then we had the prelims of the amateur trail and I went in with Madonna and it just felt like even the course was so similar to the other girl with laptop four years ago and it just felt so similar and she was lifting her feet and the whole rhythm and all that and it was just like a mirror of the same situation four years back then and after that I, I jumped off I cried and I fell in the arms of uh, Dazi and like I had a feeling I was riding two horses at the same time and um, like he's he's with us. Madonna was giving her everything. And um, I was so happy by that time just like for experiencing that. And then we ended up in this top amateur class, I think like with almost 50 horses that we won under every single judge. And we had, we were scoring like a 78, 79, I think almost an 80 with one judge. And it was just where it was like, I don't know where this came from because at that age, you couldn't be possibly able to do it I don't know like it was just these two rides mean so much to me and um these are uh, like the things when you ask me about like what really sticks sticks with me I definitely think about those two that's probably like one of the stories where one would say like who's who's cutting onions right now like yeah. <laughs> it's really emotional even just hearing it because I think everyone of us everyone who rides has probably experienced a situation like that where you just feel that the horse is giving you so, so much. And as we all know, it's not always like ups, it's mostly ups and downs mm -hmm. in the horse show industry. So a moment like that can make up for all the downs, right? Yeah, definitely. I think like a lot of moments like that are the ones that we ride for and that we should be thankful for. Absolutely. But we just talked about a lot of positive things and wins and when looking from the outside, I mean, you're one of the most decorated amateur riders out there and you have great, great horses, you've accomplished great things, but are there actually aspects of our industry or of riding in general that you struggle with? Yeah, I think we all do and it wouldn't be good if we wouldn't. I mean, like we still have to stay critical and reflect and all that. And also when I think like of my personal downs, 
there are definitely <laughs> a couple and um i mean like there are the small ones where you just like get out of uh, a horsemanship class and you're you're overturned or whatsoever or you had a showmanship class and they were lifting a pivot foot or whatsoever but for me personally like my biggest down was the the last years when i was studying because it was really hard for me to actually get proper training in and I just now that I'm finished I realized that um, I never came to the point from the point I started um, university until the point I ended university it was always like going to the shows having like quick fixes there was never this constant training constant preparation and you were just like ready to go you just like you came there and you were like okay we tried to put an A game on but it was never the A game and I also, <laughs> I remember this one show, I don't know, like 2016 or 17, yeah, it was right in the middle of my studies and I came to the show and I started to, to show the first shows and uh, goes and it, it, like nothing really worked out. And at some point, Dazi was like, Leah, um, I don't know what's going on, but you're, you're doing a lot of novice mistakes and that's all right, but you actually know that like what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know. I just like, I don't feel myself I wasn't putting the confidence in that I um tried to have in me uh, because I know what I'm doing whatsoever and then that, when we were right in the middle of the show Sylvie Jekler uh, who was judging the show at one point just like after a class I think it was a horsemanship class came to me and she's like Leah I know you now for quite a while and I don't know what you're doing here in the show pen but can you please stop get your shit together and show like you normally do and it was really like a rattle for me where I was like honestly we often underestimate what kind of yeah what riding has to do with the, a strong mind game as well because then I, I reflected on that and I was like yeah honestly like I know what I'm doing I'm doing everything like normally and it just like I was lacking the confidence and I was lacking the routine and I I was just not in it and then um, I started to get my mind back in the space where it normally is while showing and then the show really became better but for me that was a huge huge learning that on the one hand constant training routines and um, like this constant dedication is so important you can't just go and win it's it's a long way for each one of us and each one of us has to put a lot of work in it and then also we should never underestimate um how strong or how impactful our mindset is when we go on the horses i mean like even when you drive a car it's important that you're fully there and in the right mind space but when you then ride a horse that's not just mechanics it's also like a living being and therefore, I guess it's really important that you, you work on your body strength, but also on your mental strength. Absolutely. I think that's something most people have to learn. And actually, I think most people have to learn it the hard way. I don't know. That's just my impression. It's also kind of relieving to see that even people like you struggle at times. And as you just said, you can't just go out there and win all the time. But I think for novice riders like me, it's kind of like a little bit uplifting to see that you also have your struggles and things you have to work on and you just said that you had a big learning in this situation are there other things you learn from riding or horses in general that you apply to your daily life yes definitely I think um, like horses really really shape your life and you do learn a lot of dedication taking responsibility for another being giving like clear lines and and that you have to actually put work in but also you have to put some empathy and yeah, some love in it as well because you can't just go in and treat a horse like a machine you also have to deal with it on a more emotional level and those are learnings that I realize now that are also important in my daily life or in like the business world, I would say, because you can't just like go in, put in all the technicalities you learn at university and then expect the things to work out. You also have to put like your heart in it and understand it. And I realized that actually, I think there are a lot of 
there are uh, similarities between riding a horse and then acting in the business world. And one that I, I don't know why, but I was constantly thinking of is maybe it's because I really like the Western riding. I don't know, but in the Western riding, you have this like rhythm. And then um, when you go to the lead change, you do like this push, push, like you prepare the horse, um, you put it in the right position and then you push, you tell them it's going to be like, it's going to be to happen and it's push, push, change. And then you flow in the same rhythm. And I think this is so like striving for change in the business world. Because if you come into a company or um, like starting a company or whatsoever, and you try to just like change things, like coming in and being like, oh, I want this differently. So we don't do it like plan A, we're just going to do it plan B. And uh, we change the whole system. This always crashes. So you have to go in, you have to put all the people in the right positions and then like tell them and go with the rhythm that is already there and be like, okay, we want to do that, bring that in. It's like a first push. And then um, you explain to everybody and like drive in a different direction, put all the measures in place. And then it's like the second push. And then you go with the change, which is rather a flow instead of a whole change of directions. And that's something I think the lead change really can teach us all because the lead change is not necessarily a change of direction. It's just like a change in, uh, in the same rhythm it's not that we're going from left to right. We, I mean, like on the line in the Western Rhine, we do the change on the straight line. So um, it, it's going to be, get better, but we need to get it within this rhythm and we have to get the preparation and um, have to adapt what we already have there. And then at the same time, a Western riding, you can never go too slow. So you don't have the pace of a pleasure horse um, and the same in business, but you rather don't have the pace of a reigning horse. Um, you have to go in a moderate pace so that you actually can go for the change, but don't rush into it. And if you go too slow, it won't happen. I realized that there are a lot of things like that, that now that I started working, I'm like, oh, honestly, that, like if you're not a horse rider or not a Christian, you probably wouldn't see it like that. But um, I think a lot of Christians uh, can relate to that. Oh, yeah, I agree. Actually, never thought about it that way, but I really like the metaphor. I think if you're an equestrian, as you just said, it, it really works out. And I think riding in general or being with horses teaches you so much about patience, which you also need in your daily life. And especially for me personally about defeat, because, you know, as, as you probably might know as well, experiencing defeat in the horse show world can be so bad at times and <laughs> it can make you cry and doubt everything you know and yeah probably question whether you're doing it right or why you're doing it at all so I think it kind of prepares you for other defeats in life and probably um, gives you ways to deal with it because as you know we all have this situation where we are like okay I'm quitting horses I'm quitting showing and Still, we always come back, right? Yeah, because we're addicts. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's actually true. Yeah, but we're talking so much about daily life, and um, you know, we all have a life aside from horses. It's hard to believe, but you know, <laughs> even even really? I even I do. And I follow your Instagram account, and I just noticed a few months ago that you were posting a lot of different animals that are definitely not horses so can you tell a bit a bit more about what you're doing and why you're doing and about those animals yes the animals you're talking about are the rhinos um lions pangolins and whatsoever because i co-founded um an animal welfare organization the amos foundation last year with a friend of mine we are a non-profit or how we like to call it, um, we're rather a for impact organization that um, focuses on protecting biodiversity, conserving wildlife and making Africa a safer place for animals. And we started by overtaking the first reserve. Uh, we introduced um, first new species there, uh, training and poaching units there. And um, now looking to expand um, to a second reserve. And we wanted to start it because there are a lot of, a lot of organizations out there. But the, thing, the sad thing is a lot of, of the money that's donated is lost in, in the overheads of those organizations. 
like the the typical uh, non-profit organization in Germany runs at 35% overhead costs. And that's something where we're like, we, we thought that's not what we want to support. And that's where we decided we want to run an organization where almost 100% of the money donated actually gets to the place where it's needed and where you donate it for. And then also, I think all of us, at least in the Western world, um, we are living a very privileged life. And this privilege also comes with some kind of a duty this, that we should take care of our planet and um, on the beings on there. And that might be animals and also uh, humans. And um, each of us can find a different way to help and to give back for the privilege that, um, that we all have. And my way to give back is a little bit through, um, through Amos. And also on top of it, it's, it's really fun, honestly, because it's doing good and it's fun. And it's on a, in a business kind of sense that we are um, running the whole organization rather as a business instead of a nonprofit organization. So we build sustainable um, business structures that actually all of the projects that we fund and kickstart can sustain themselves over the short or medium um, run of time. Luckily, I were able to go down there um, this year, um, at the beginning of this year, and really looking forward to my next trip and see the, the first rehab center that we built and um, meeting a new ranger that we employed and like seeing all the progress that we're trying to bring forward from, from home, from Germany or now from Switzerland um, in place in Africa. I absolutely love that. You know, usually all the horse show people you meet, you see them at the horse shows and you know that they love horses and they're addicted to horses. But I always love it to see if, like when people have other passions and other things they work for projects and I actually didn't know that you co-founded it I just you know I'm saying just in quotation marks I thought you were kind of a member or someone who, who works there or supports it but it's actually so cool to see people taking a stand and you know just attacking a problem and trying to make the world better I love to see that thank you I really appreciate your words um and I also have to thank all the people that have been supporting us already in the last year. We wouldn't be at the point where we are already now without the tremendous support of so many amazing people. Oh yeah, I believe so. It always takes a village, right? Whether you're doing yeah. more shows or yeah. something else. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you can't achieve anything by yourself. You always need a great team. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I feel like you're kind of, I don't know how to say it, but probably a little exotic with your passions because in the past you had a hobby that is not really common in Germany. It's really common in the States, but not in Germany because you were part of a cheerleading squad, which is so, so cool. Can you tell a bit more about that? <laughs> yes, sure. I mean, like, I think some people from the horseshoe industry know that because um, we got invited to perform at the Q in 2018, I think it was. Um, and I could take like the whole team and we actually did our um, cheer performance in the Trissage Stadium, which was amazing and an experience I, I will always keep close to my heart. But honestly, I, I think like, like most German girls, I always had like this, the movies in my head, um, the, all the American college movies where you have like the cheerleaders and all looks really cool. And I never actually thought that I would do cheerleading by myself at one point in time. And then when I came to my university, they have a cheerleading team, mainly for one big event during um, the course of the academic year, which is Euromasters. And I, like, um, that was my first goal when I came to university. It wasn't to get good grades or get a good internship or whatsoever. I said, okay, once I'm at university, I want to make it to the cheerleading uh, team. And when I got that, I, I was so happy. And then uh, I, I was part of the team for, yeah, for four years in total, I guess. I just loved it that it's so different to the sports I, I normally do. So like horses and then I do boxing and like everybody like running and gym and all that kind of stuff. And those are all a little bit more self-focused sports. Like even though you build like a team with your horse or you have your show team, I would say it's not exactly like playing soccer or basketball or, or cheerleading in particular. 
and such a new experience for myself. And I absolutely love it that you have so many people around you and you're all striving for the same thing and you, you win and you lose together and you're all in it together. And it also comes with some struggles. Uh, there were a lot of trainings where, I mean, like we are a squad of 30 people and not each single person puts the same effort in it as uh, everybody else does. So there were points where like people were simply not showing up to, to trainings or something like that. And I mean, like when you're training by yourself, it's up to you if you go out in the barn or you don't. But if you have a whole team uh, around you, there's also a responsibility that you have towards your teammates. And that's on the downside, but on the upside, you also have like 30 people that uh, enjoy or share the excitement and um, that can push you. and you do that together and you have 30 different ideas of how to 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 do things and i just loved it and i love the performing part of it like especially doing Euromasters. that's that was always amazing because in front of 2500 3000 people forming a show and you have everybody around there just like cheering on you yeah and sharing this this passion and excitement and have the weeks before where you train for it and then it's finally there and you have those six minutes where I have to put it all in. I guess it's the same competitive spirit that um, also uh, strives me to go to the shows each year again. Um, I I really do love the cheerleading, uh, although I have to admit, like now that I left university, I also quit cheerleading. It was always like a university thing. I mean, like all good things have to come to an end at, at some point of time. And um, let's see maybe in the future if there's some other hobbies catch my attention or also there is like a lot of like professional things ahead of me so I guess I won't be bored in the next years <laughs> yeah and I mean it's hard to have like a job and multiple hobbies especially if the one hobby and I mean riding horses is so time consuming you know so it's kind of hard <laughs> yeah. to do another one <laughs> honestly I think like you realize that as well Obviously, like a lot of people that are amateurs and that uh, are working and living this, uh, I don't know, like adult life, probably now say like, oh yeah, sure, you have to work and you don't have time to do the horses all the time. But there was something for me to realize, like honestly, a whole work life and then horses and um, all the other things on the side, it's really, really time consuming. And I think you realize that as well. And um, oh, yeah. a lot of like honestly I want to go back to the youth days where you just like go to the show go show for six days go home and have school and already in your mind are thinking about the next show in Croydon four weeks later oh yes yes I wish but you know we we all have to grow up at some point right yeah. and as you just yeah. said there are many great things lying ahead of you in the future but can you tell me about your future plans? Because as you said, you haven't been to any shows in 2021, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. So what's in what's in store for 2022? I definitely um, will focus a little bit more on my professional career, like I did this year. So riding won't be at the, the top priority for the next year as well. But I also realized that without horses, it's also not doable um, and I missed it so much so um, the plan is to do like two shows next year and honestly like my big goal would be to at the European Championships I, I really would like to go uh, for gold in a horsemanship because like this is one of the aims for the near future where I'm like I want to really go for that uh, but let's see I mean um, it's professional life first and then um, horses and then two shows and then let's see which shows maybe I end up doing Aachen and um, the summer show or whatsoever like it really depends on everything else and uh, but I will make time to squeeze the shows and that's for sure that sounds cool because we missed you at the shows and mm. but you know we never know what's going to happen. We're still living in the midst <laughs> of a pandemic. I mean, we're at very different points in our show career. I mean, mine is, you know, not even getting started and yours is 
actually at a point where I would say, I mean, what else does she want? Because she's won everything, but you just mentioned that you want to go for gold in the horsemanship. It's kind of cool to see, you know, there's still, you know, there's still something more you want to achieve. There's still something that pushes you, that um, keeps you going. Is that your only big goal or do you still have any other goals in mind? Um, yeah, the, the horsemanship is kind of like my aim for a goal for next year. And then like talking long-term, I really want to win a fraternity class with a, a homebred horse. So anytime in the future, probably like in, I don't know, like seven, eight years, I maybe uh, can go for that. And I mean, like a fraternity or maturity class, like showing a homebred horse there and uh, winning a class uh, would be amazing. And then there's like this overarching goal, which is, I would say in terms of horses, my biggest for now and will always be, I guess. And that's really at one point in time, I want to win a club uh, at the, the world show in the US and I know there are a lot of things that have to fall into the place and you have to train and all that. Even if it's going to be um, when I'm selected whatsoever, um, this this goal is overarching over everything. And um, I really wish that I can uh, pursue it in the mid to long term. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, remember that uh, you already gave this answer at some of the many interviews that we did in the past. And it's great to see that your dreams haven't changed. So. It's probably something that, that many, many people dream of. But yeah, I feel like you're probably one of the people who have the, the possibility and the potential to go out there and actually do it. So my fingers are definitely crossed. And I actually hope that we will see each other next year, hopefully with our horses, you know, so that my baby horse can meet your horses and probably they could give him some tips or some pieces of advice, you know, especially for the showmanship. <laughs> It was so cool having you here, Leah, because I actually love those talks with the amateur riders. I feel like there's so much we don't know about each other, so much about the background, the personal lives, and it's kind of cool to get everyone know a little better. And I feel that's actually something that our listeners will enjoy. So thank you so much for being so open and telling so many stories. I loved it. And yeah, let's hope we will see each other in 2022. Thank you so much for having me, Leonie. And uh, I really, really enjoyed the talk as well. I'm pretty sure we're going to see each other next year and really, really looking forward to meet your little one. 